just some that are easier to talk on than others and some that we enjoy more. Uh, For example, for myself, I really like preaching on passages of Scripture that clearly portray the gospel, the good news about Jesus. I love those passages. They're, they're just so, uh, they're so basic to our faith. They're so essential to our faith. They're, they're, not, they're not gray. They're not disputable. It's black and white. And, and I understand that sometimes it can be kind of depressing for people to, to hear me talk about sin and about the fact that we are separated from God by our sins. And, and apart from just on our own, we're, we're headed for eternity without, without Christ just in our own sinfulness, that, that can be depressing. However, the essence of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, is that God has not left us in that situation, that God became one of us. He didn't stand apart. He did not just leave us in our state, but he came and he became one of us. He lived among us. He taught us the way. He died. He took the punishment for our sins, and he rose again. And because of that, we can have a relationship with him that never ends, we can spend eternity with him. That is good news. It's exciting, and I love to, to preach on that, and I love to try to explain that in different ways. And I also like to talk about the, the stories of Jesus' life, especially in Matthew and Luke. Uh, I think those guys are just great story writers, and I love to try to explain Jesus' parables and try to explain what it was like to live in, in first century Israel when Jesus was alive and the just kind of the historical situation there. To me, that's interesting. I'm kind of a historian. I find that fun. But there are other passages of Scripture that are harder for, at least for myself, to preach on. And one of them that may surprise you is I, I sometimes find it difficult to preach on the, on the epistles, on Paul's letters. You may say, well, why is that? Well, for me, sometimes I feel like Paul's letters are so obvious they're so, they're so straightforward that sometimes when I read the passage, I feel like just closing the Bible and saying, okay, let's go home, right? Go put it into practice. And I'm sure a lot of you wish I would do that more often. Um, but then, the, so some, some passages of Scripture are really obvious, really straightforward. But then there are others that are very difficult, very hard to understand, and, and hard for me to understand. There are certain passages in the Old Testament that are hard to understand. And even in the New Testament, there are passages that are hard to understand. And the, the passage that we're looking at today is one of those passages in James chapter 5. We're going to be looking, well, if you look in your notes, the topic is confessing to each other and praying for each other. But the immediate context there is praying for physical healing. And physical healing is one of those controversial issues among Christians. Does God heal today? And if God heals, why does he heal some people and he doesn't heal other people? And to, to make things even trickier in our passage today, it seems like James is saying that if you pray with enough faith, God will heal the person you're praying for. Now that's tricky, because that doesn't seem to fit with our life experience. And so I, you, can, you can imagine as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, it's tempting to try to just gloss over that, right? And just say, okay, well, let's talk about something else. But I don't feel like I can do that. Because it's, the Bible says it's the responsibility of pastors, of church leaders, to teach what it says, the, it calls the whole counsel of God. I think that means it's our responsibility to teach and to interpret the Bible in a way that we see how it all fits together. And so we don't just know a random verse here and a random verse there, but we see how the whole Bible is one message from God. It all fits together, it all coheres, and it's all from Him, and it all basically is saying one, one big message message, one big uh, gospel. 
Um, so I'm going to dive in. I'm not going to skirt the issue today. But I will say before I start that this is a disputable issue. This is an issue that well-meaning Christians can and do disagree on. And so I, I have prayerfully studied the passage, and I'm going to present to you what my thoughts are on it. But you may disagree with me, and that's okay. That's all right. I anticipate some good, good discussions out on the plaza today. I'm prepared for that. And I will just embrace what you say with humility. But, uh, but, but recognize, this is a disputable issue, but I pray that the Holy Spirit will still use what I'm saying today, even if you disagree with some of it, to encourage you, to spur you on in your faith. So turn with me to James, James chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 13. James is almost to the end of the Bible. You get to 1 Peter, you've gone a little bit too far. You've gone to Revelation, you've gone way too far. So James chapter 5, verse 13. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. And trouble there means afflicted, suffering in some way. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is one of you sick? Any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man and woman is powerful and effective. Now, the context of this passage in James is on suffering. James starts out his letter talking about suffering, and then he ends his letter by talking about suffering. And so right before this passage, James says, look, when you're suffering, you need to to persevere, you need to stand firm, and you need to be (laughs) patient—I can't talk—you need to be patient— but as you're being patient, he says, are you, are you troubled? Are you having a hard time? Then pray about it. It's not selfish to pray about the things that are, that are troubling you, that are causing you to suffer. And I think sometimes as Christians, we have this, this idea that to pray ab- about myself is selfish, and it's definitely not. Maybe if you only pray about yourself, that's selfish, but we should absolutely bring our problems to God. See, Christian patience is not fatalistic. It's not, it's not the Buddhist view of patience where you just kind of accept whatever fate brings you and you say, okay, well, whatever, whatever happens, happens. That's not the Christian version of patience. Christian patience is based on faith-filled prayer, trusting in God. And we say, God, help me. I'm having this problem and I'm not going to pretend that it doesn't exist. God, help me in this. And we're patient. And we just keep praying and saying, God, help me. God, help me. And we trust that he will help us when the time is right in his, in his timing, but we just keep persevering. We just keep praying. I think sometimes the reason we don't see more answers to our prayers is that we don't persevere. Jesus says, knock. Just keep knocking, and the door will be open. And so we need to persevere. We need to just keep seeking God. And then James says, are you happy? In other words, did God answer your prayer? Well, then praise him. Praise him. Don't forget to praise God when he answers your prayers. And this is something that I struggle with. I don't know about you, but for me, uh, I, sometimes I pray, and then God answers my prayer, and often I don't even remember that I prayed about it. I'm just like, whoa, I, whoa this is great. I, you know, this great thing happened to me. Or occasionally, I do remember that God answered my prayer, and so I'll praise him for like a day, and then I'll move on to the next thing that 
concerns me, right? And I'll be like, oh God, why don't you ever answer my prayers? And I forget. I have a bad, I have a really bad memory. I re- most of us do. And so J- James is like, okay, you're in trouble. Pray. Are you happy because God answered your prayer? Then praise him. It's easy to remember to pray. It's hard to remember to praise. But praising God is a huge way of, test- of, of, of witnessing, of testifying about him. It's, you know what, it's a, it's a huge encouragement. I think Ron was praying about the man who was healed today who's in our church. I don't know who he's talking about, but that's, it's encouraging to hear those things. When somebody says, you know what, God healed me. God, I've been praying for a job and God gave me this job. Like when we testify about that, that's not prideful. That's just, that's bringing glory to God. We're like, God is real. And then other Christians who are going through a hard time are like, man, you know what, that person trusted God. They persevered. They kept praying. God answered their prayer. So I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to give up. I'm just going to keep holding on to my faith and God is going to come through. We should testify. And then of course, it's a witness to non-Christians because they're like, wow, maybe God is real. He answered your prayers. So we, we need to remember to testify and, and even sing. Now, some of you guys out there are like, no, nah, I don't sing, right? You're like, I, my voice isn't very good, and, and uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of weird. And, and I, I see you guys out there. I, I know some of you guys, right? Martin's up here rocking away, and you're just like, right? okay, I understand. I don't sing very good either, but you know what? We all have something to praise God about, and there's just something about making a joyful noise, even if that's all you can do, make a noise, you know. But, but in praise to God, it's a testimony. And I think we should come ready to praise God. Whatever you have in your life, you've received from God. And we should be ready to praise him. But James goes on here. And in verse 14, he says, Okay, if your trouble continues, if God doesn't answer your prayer, and you are sick, literally in the Greek it says laid low. And some people try to, try to interpret that uh, as being maybe something besides sickness, but I think it's pretty clear in the Greek that this is a sickness. It's a, it's a serious sickness. You have some sickness that has laid you in your bed. You can't get out of bed, or maybe you're in the hospital. And James says, okay, are you suffering in such a way that you're laid up in your bed? You're sick? It's a really serious illness? He says, well then, call the elders of the church. And elders of the church are the church leaders. They're the shepherds of the church. Their responsibility is to take care of, of the flock, of the, the sheep. We're, we're sheep. We're, we're not too smart. Sheep aren't real smart, but we're, we're God's sheep, and he loves us. And the pastors are our sheep as well, but it's our job to kind of, kind of lead the flock, kind of tend the flock. And part of that responsibility means to care for the sheep that are sick, that are hurting, that are having a hard time. And so it is our responsibility, it is our calling to do that. And so you shouldn't feel like, man, this would be a big inconvenience to call the pastors or to call the, the board members to come out and pray for me. It's our, it's our, our responsibility. It's our, prev- our privilege. We want to do that. That's, you know, that's part of the reason that we have, we have the position that we do because we care about you. We want to come and pray for you. And so James says, call them out. Have them come and pray for you. And it says they will pray over the sick person. Again, it, the idea of the person is laying down. And they will anoint that person with oil. Now, this sounds a little bit weird, especially if you're not very familiar with the Bible. You're like, why would anybody put cooking oil on me? Like, that's a strange thing. Well, it, it could be medicinal. Some people say, oh, this was like a healing thing, uh, you know, to like, uh, like a medicinal a medicine. Um, because in the ancient world, sometimes people would use olive oil for that purpose. But I don't think that's primarily what James has in mind here. I think what he's thinking of is something that they did a lot in the Old Testament, which is they would anoint people with oil to symbolize God's Spirit coming over them. 
And again, that's kind of weird to us, but just as the, and, and they wouldn't just dab it on, they would pour it over somebody's head and it would come dripping down them. But the idea was just as that oil is dripping down that person's body, so also as they pray, God's spirit is coming over this person and filling them and empowering them and raising up their body. If you remember in the Old Testament, they would anoint the kings of Israel with oil when, when they became king. Remember, Samuel went to King David, and he anointed him with oil, and it says at that time, the Holy Spirit came on David in a very special way. He empowered him. And so I think the idea here is symbolic, that as we pray, we're saying, you know what? It's not our power that's going to heal you. It's God's power, and so we're going to anoint you with oil to symbolize the Holy Spirit coming on you, filling you, empowering you. Now, so far, there's nothing real controversial in this passage, right? I hope not. Maybe the oil's a little bit weird, but nothing real controversial. But in verse 15 is where I think we get tripped up. It says, and the NIV says, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Literally, the Greek says, the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith will save the sick person. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. And what I think James is talking about here is a very holistic view of salvation. I think often when we talk about salvation, we talk about having our sins forgiven, having a relationship with God. That's absolutely true. But for, for the, peop- the ancient Christians, uh, salvation was more than that. It involved this idea that someday, not only our spirits, but also our bodies will be completely transformed, completely fixed. No more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. It'll be complete. Our spirits will be saved. We'll have this perfect relationship with God and our bodies will be completely healed. And so I think that's what James is talking about here. He says the body, when you pray over this person with the prayer of faith, the body will be raised up. It'll be healed and the spirit will be forgiven of any sins that might be related to this illness. An example of this would be when Jesus prayed for the paralyzed man. If you remember, the, there's a guy who's paralyzed. His friends bring him to Jesus, and they can't get in the house because, you know, Jesus is a celebrity, and there's lots of people around. And so they climb to the top of the house, and they just rip apart the roof. Like, I, I can't imagine doing that. But anyway, they rip apart the roof, and they lower this guy down into the house. Jesus sees the paralyzed man, and the first thing he says is, Son, your sins are forgiven. And probably the guy's like, well, I'm, I'm paralyzed, right? But I'm, Jesus says, look, I see your faith. I see your faith in me. I see that you trust me, and so you, your sins are forgiven. Your spirit has been healed. But Jesus doesn't stop there, and he says, now get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Jesus, and the man's body is healed. He stands up, and he goes home. Holistic salvation. The body and the spirit are saved. Now, the problem with this, with this verse, is that it sounds like a guarantee that if a church leader prays over you in faith, you will be healed. And yet that doesn't quite seem to match with our experience. I've been a part of numerous prayer meetings, and I've seen other pastors pray, and church leaders pray for people who aren't healed. So how do we understand this? If we believe the Bible is true, how do we interpret this verse? Well, one explanation, a very obvious one, is that maybe when a church leader prays for somebody and they're not healed, that church leader didn't have faith, right? That's, an, that's a pretty obvious one. And there's a, there's a very small group, a small um, number of Christian groups who hold this position. If you remember a couple months ago, there were some, some Christian fundamentalist parents who actually got, got charged with, with criminal charges because they, uh, they believe in just praying for their children when they get sick. They don't believe in taking them to the doctor, And so because of that, several of their children actually died 
from treatable illnesses because these parents just, they had pastors pray and they prayed, but they didn't take them to the doctor and the kids still died. But you know what? To me, that seems wrong for two reasons. One, it seems just intuitively wrong. And medicine seems like an incredible blessing from God. Not, a, not something that we should avoid. Like medicine just seems, it seems like something we should use for God's glory and thank him for it. If you remember in the Bible, at one point, Paul even tells Timothy to drink a little wine because of his stomach problems. And for, in that context, uh, he's not telling Timothy to get drunk or anything. He's saying, Timothy, wine is going it, to, it's medicinal. It's going to help you. Take some medicine, in other words, for your stomach problem. So something just seems wrong with that. And another reason why it seems wrong to me, and, and you can disagree, but logically it seems wrong, and f- try to follow what I'm thinking here. Everybody dies. Can we agree on that? Everybody dies, except, well, Jesus died, and then he rose again. But everybody dies. Uh, Hebrews says, says that it is appointed for a man and a woman once to die, and then the judgments. It's just part of the curse of sin. Even as Christians, we die until Christ returns. So everybody dies. But if you hold this position that whenever you pray for somebody, they will be healed, if you pray in faith, if, if you push that to its logical extreme, it seems like every time somebody was getting ready to die, we could just go over them, pray for them in faith, and they would be healed. And so people would never die. Even if they're like 96 years old, every, you know, like every five minutes, we just pray over them, and they, they're almost ready to die, but then we raise them up, and then they get old, and then we, I mean, right? It seems like that's possible. Maybe I'm really off on this, but I, just to me, that makes sense. But because that's the conclusion of the position, I think the position seems wrong somehow. But not only does it seem logically, intuitively wrong, I think it's biblically wrong. God used Paul, the Apostle Paul, to heal many people. And you can read the book of Acts to see that, how Paul healed many people. So Paul had faith, apparently, to see healings. But apparently, God did not use Paul's prayers to heal people on a couple occasions. He didn't use Paul's prayers to heal Timothy. Remember Timothy's stomach problems. Or there's another guy named Trophimus, kind of a funky name. Trophimus, he was a co-worker of Paul. They went and did ministry together. They planted churches. They were missionaries. And at one point, Trophimus gets very sick. He's very, very ill. And Paul is with him and stays with him for a while and prays for him. But after a while, Paul says, look, man, I got to keep I got to keep doing ministry. Like, I can't stay here forever. And so Paul leaves him there with the church. The church is caring for this guy, and Paul leaves and keeps doing ministry. Why didn't Paul just do the prayer of faith and heal him? If, if every, I mean, Paul certainly had faith. I would think so. He's, he wrote a lot of the Bible. So I don't think it follows that whenever a person is not healed, it's because the one praying didn't have faith. So are we then forced to conclude that James is wrong here, that he's giving us a false promise, a false guarantee? No, I don't think so. I think there's another possibility. I think it is very possible that what James has in mind when he refers to the prayer of faith is actually the spiritual gift of faith that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And so we're going to bring it up here on the overhead. I don't want you to have to turn there. Paul says there, starting in verse 7, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. Now, the faith Paul is talking about here is not the general trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Corinthians are already Christians. And certainly he wouldn't say that it's given just to some of you. 
They're all Christians. They all have general trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. The kind of faith that I think Paul is talking about here is an extraordinary assurance of God's intention to do something if we ask for it. An extraordinary assurance of God's intention to do something if we ask for it. So the idea is that as you're praying for something, you receive confidence from the Holy Spirit that what you are praying for is, in fact, God's specific will, and he is going to answer your prayers. What you, you get this confidence, this, this assurance that what you are praying for is, in fact, God's specific will in this situation, and he is going to answer your prayer. And that kind of faith is a spiritual gift. It's given to some believers at certain times for the good of the church. And notice that it comes right before the gifts of healing. I think the reason that is, is because when the gifts of healing are given, when somebody is healed, remember each time that you're healed, that's a gift of healing. That's the biblical view. Each time someone is healed, that is a gift. And so I think the idea there is when a gift of healing is given, it's because often a gift of faith has been also given or has been given before that. So what I think, that's a long explanation, getting back to James now. What I think James is saying here is that a prayer offered with this kind of supernatural assurance from God is sure to be answered. It's guaranteed to be answered because it is God's will. It represents God's will. The prayer of faith doesn't change God's mind. It reveals God's mind. The prayer of faith doesn't convince God to heal. It convinces us that God's going to heal. It's not persuading God. We're not like, oh God, I know you don't want to heal this person, but please change your mind. No, when we're praying, as we're praying for that person to be healed, we get this sense that, you know what, this is exactly God's will. I know that he's going to do that. And so we're just praying for God and saying, thank you, God, that you are going to heal this person. Now, I think that this understanding of the prayer of faith should actually encourage us and motivate us as we pray for people. I think that deep down, if we were honest, many of us are very reluctant to pray for sick people. I think we're reluctant because we believe, or we we have that verse in James in the back of our heads, and we believe that if we prayed with enough faith, this person would be healed, but we believe that we don't have enough faith. And so we're like, oh, so if the person asks us for, for, to pray for them, we're like, okay, all right. Or Pastor Ron says, hey, can you go pray and be in the prayer room this week? And we're like, okay. And so we go back there and somebody comes and they're sick and we're like, oh man, okay, I got to get myself fired up. And so we're like, okay, you know, got to conjure this up, got to, you know, got to get myself pepped up. And they're like, okay, now I fe- I'm feeling some strong emotions. And we're like, be healed. Oh man, I'm a loser, you know? I, mean, I, th- I think that is kind of our idea. That if we can just conjure up enough faith, maybe, well, the person would be healed, but we can't. And so we feel like loser Christians. But the reality is that we don't have to conjure up enough faith for someone to be healed. It's a gift. We just need the general faith to trust that God can heal, that God loves to heal, and that God loves his children and he always wants what's best for them. God loves his children. He is a father. That's the kind of faith we need. Not that God is like some genie that we just have to, you know, have strong enough confidence that he's going to do this. We trust that he's a father, that he loves his children, that he loves to heal, and he always wants what's best. And as we pray with that kind of general trust, general faith in God, we also seek that God would then give us the gift of faith to confirm that he intends to heal in this specific situation. If we don't receive that kind of supernatural confirmation, it's okay. Right? God can and he does heal without giving the gift of faith. 
I, I can testify to that. I've had times where I prayed for somebody and I didn't feel anything, right? Like, no, I, I, I don't, I'm not a real, like, feeling guy, guy anyway. I just ask my wife sometimes, but I try to be. But I mean, I've had many times where I prayed for somebody, didn't feel anything, and they didn't feel anything either. And so we're both like, oh, that didn't work. And then they go home, and the next day they're like, they call, and they're like, hey, I'm better. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, <laughs> uh, did you take some medicine? Like, and they're like, no, you prayed for me. I'm like, okay, maybe, right, because I didn't feel anything. And I've had many people tell me similar stories. So God does give gifts of healing without giving gift, the gift of faith. But at the same time, we, I think we should still desire to receive that assurance, that confidence as we pray. God, or Paul tells us to desire the spiritual gifts. I think we should desire that gift of faith. So James makes it very clear in verse 16, as we move on, that we should all pray like this, not just the church leaders. First, he says, are, are you in trouble? Are you having a hard time? Pray for yourself. Okay, pray for yourself first. But then, if you're laid low, if you're sick, call the elders of the church to pray for you. But then also, have other people, have other people in the church pray for you, confessing your sins to one another. Now, why in the world does he say confess your sins? Well, because in the biblical worldview, sometimes sickness is caused by sin. Not always. Let me make that clear. Sickness is not always caused by sin. Not always. Jesus shows us that. When he's, at one point, he's walking through the temple with his disciples, and they see a man born blind. And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, did that guy, like, who sinned so that that guy was blind? Was it him or his parents? And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Like, nobody sinned here. That God allowed that so that his glory would be displayed in this guy's life. So sin does not, sickness is not always caused by sin. However, sometimes sin can and it does cause sickness. It should be obvious that our minds affect our bodies, right? Right now my mind is affecting my body. It's telling my arm to raise. And sinful thoughts, sinful beliefs, sinful desires can and they do affect your emotional and your physical health. I, I believe that absolutely. Guilt, shame, lust, anger, greed, all of those things affect our bodies. And certainly sinful physical behavior, like alcoholism, sexual promiscuity, those are highly correlated with certain diseases. So definitely sin can cause us to be sick. And sometimes God even uses sickness to discipline us for sin. And I know that's not very PC. Uh, God isn't being mean, but he's trying to get our attention. At one point in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about this when he says, he tells the church, look guys, there's this guy in our church, and everybody knows this, there's a guy in our church who's living in this sexually immoral relationship, and Paul, at one point Paul says, you know what, I pray to God, and I say, God, uh, I, I pray to God, and I turned him over to Satan for the destruction of his body so that his spirit would be saved. That sounds really harsh, but what Paul is saying there. He's saying, look, I, we've tried everything. He's like, he's like, I was just praying, and I said, God, I've tried to get a hold of this guy. I've tried to get his attention, and other Christians have tried to get his attention. He won't listen. So God, God, do what it takes to get his attention, to get him to repent. God, even if it takes Satan making him sick, harming his body, allow that, God, so that he will turn to you and be saved, be, be forgiven, repent. See, ideally, we want spiritual and physical health, but if you've got to pick one of the two, spiritual health is better. So sometimes God does allow sickness to get our attention, but sometimes sickness actually causes us to sin. Sometimes sin causes sickness, but sometimes sickness causes sin. 
You get sick and then you're tempted to not trust God, to to curse Him, to grumble against Him, to worry, to be anxious, to be self-centered and develop this victim mentality and not care about the problems of other people. And so part of praying for healing involves confessing our sins and receiving God's forgiveness for them. It allows us to get to the spiritual root of the problem, not just the physical symptoms. And so you may say, well, okay, why can't I just confess my sins to God? Why do I have to, like, confess it to other people, right? That's kind of awkward. Well, I can, I can think of at least three reasons why this is important. One, there's something very powerful and very freeing about confessing to other people. It often, I think it often demonstrates that we're truly repentant and that we want to be free from our sin. We've all had situations in our life where we were struggling with a certain sin and we were like, okay, God, please forgive me. And we do it the next day. And we're like, oh, okay, God, please forgive me. And we do it the next day. But there's something freeing when we go to someone and we say, you know what? I'm so ashamed of this. This is such a a problem for me, but I want to be free. Help me. Come alongside me. Hold me accountable. Encourage me. Pray for me. There's something freeing about that. Second, when we humbly confess our failings and our brokenness and our desperate need for God's help and our desperate need for the help of others, we're in a position to receive it. Imagine if you're, well, the Bible says that pride is the root of all sin. Pride is the root of all sin. And so pride says, I got it all together. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need God's help. I can handle this. And so the opposite of that is humility. And so when we humble ourselves and we say, I can't save myself. I can't help myself. I can't even get out of this addiction to sin. I need God's help and I need the help of other believers. And we just open up like that. Man, there's something very transforming about that. And I have seen this with my, with my own eyes. I've seen people who's, who absolutely hit rock bottom. And everybody in the church knew their reputation was completely destroyed. They could not pretend to be somebody. There was no point in trying. And so they just said, I am a loser. I am, I'm I'm a failure. I I have this sin in my life. Help me. God, help me. Believers, help me. And I've seen incredible transformation happen when people get to that place. Rapid, rapid transformation. There's something very powerful about being authentic and open with where we're at and asking for God's help and the help of others. And then third, when we are authentic with other people, that helps, it enables us to love them deeply, not just superficially. When somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, can you pray for me? And I'm like, okay. And they're like, well, I'm, I'm you know, feeling a little bit sick, but otherwise my life is okay. And I try to ask them, you know, how's your relationship with your wife? How's it, you know, whatever. And they're like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. Okay, well, I pray for them and that's, that's that. But when somebody comes and they're like, you know what? man, I, I, I'm sick, I'm having this problem, but I'm, I'm struggling in this area and, I'm, you know, my, and I have these problems and, and I'm just having a hard time. Please pray for me. Man, when that happens, I'm able to not just sympathize, I'm able to empathize and say, brother, I have problems too. I have sinned too. Let's come before God and say, God, help us. Help him, heal him, help me. Father, we're, we're two broken sinners and we desperately need your grace. There's something very powerful about that. We, we can pray with compassion and with real empathy, and I think when we're able to pray that way, we're in a position, we're in a better position to re- receive the gift of faith from the Holy Spirit as we pray. So quickly to summarize, in your notes, if you want to look there. First, if you are suffering, pray for yourself, patiently and persistently, and when God answers, don't forget to praise Him. Thank Him for that. If you're sick, Ask the shepherds of the church to come around you and pray for you. It's not an inconvenience to them. It's part of their calling. It's our, it's our privilege to be able to do that. But also ask other believers for prayer, confessing your sins. You don't have to confess obsessively, 
I know, I mean, some people are kind of this way, where they're, they're just very, like, you know, they kind of get into navel-gazing. They're like, okay, well, when I was five, I stole a candy from the shop, and then, you know, and they're like, no, okay. You know, just pray. As the Holy Spirit brings something to your mind, confess that, and pray for each other. Confession. And then, as members of the church, let's pray for each other with confidence. With confidence. Trusting that God is good. That He loves His children. That He can, and He does heal. Not just that He can, but He does and that ultimately he has what's best in mind for each of his children. We need to pray that way. And then also desire the gift of faith as we pray with this general faith in God. Let's pray confidently. Let's not just be like, oh, okay, I don't want to pray for you. Well, okay, uh, God, if it's your will, heal this person. Of course, God, of course God loves to heal. Let's pray confidently. All right? And as we do that, as we pray confidently with a desire for God to heal and a desire for the spiritual gift of healing, our spiritual gift of faith, I believe that we will see, and I look forward to hearing stories about many physical healings and even more important, many spiritual transformations. Let's pray.